Amen. Please be seated. You can turn in your Bible to John 11. We'll look at verses 45 through 54 this morning. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. So this has been um, as good a year as any for seeing what people in the public eye are really like, Um, especially people with fame and power and position, how, um, how those things, fame and power and position, they really go hand in hand with corruption and depravity. It's been as good a year as any for seeing things like that. Um, there is, there's something at work in us that we become convinced that if we attain a certain status in the world, or in society, in our community, or whatever it is, if we attain a certain status, then we can fulfill our selfish desires with impunity. Um, We pursue worldly rank in order to get what we want. And we often commit great atrocities along the way in order to achieve that rank and maintain that rank. In the realm of politics, maybe the most obvious example, um, it's a great example of the self-centeredness of worldly power, the worldly version of power. Politicians are our representatives in more ways than one. Politicians are supposed to represent and carry our voice into the government on our behalf, but politicians, in their corruption, they also represent us morally. They represent our humanity. They're standout examples of what people like us are like when we're in that kind of a position, where we have that kind of power. They're great examples of what we're like. These are the kinds of representatives that uh, we see in our passage this morning. They're the religious authorities, and in ancient Israel, there was sort of a blurred distinction between religious and political authorities, but these are the religious authorities. They're the leaders of Israel. They're the Sanhedrin, that council of 70 priests and elders and respected people in the land, Uh, and they're, they're scrambling to maintain their position of worldly power, and they resort to great evil to do so. And that's just what sinful people are like. There should be no surprise about that. They're quite representative and typical of our kind of humanity. But there's another kind of human here, another kind of humanity at work, another kind of representative, and he represents us here in spite of ourselves. In spite of ourselves, in spite of what we're like, And he represents us for our sake, not for the sake of worldly power, not some self-centered worldly power, uh, but for our sake, out of pure love and and selflessness. Jesus is our representative. He's our substitute. He's our vicar, the vicarious one. And he's not the kind we deserve, but he is the kind we need. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning from our passage. So let me pray then we'll read the scripture. Father, uh, you need to teach us to pray. We're glad that Jesus has taught us to pray and that we've learned accordingly and begun to pray accordingly this morning even. And um, we pray now that uh, according with your will, you would do that work that you are, only you are able to do and that you are pleased 
to do in our lives by sending your Holy Spirit to give us that internal uh, refreshment and regeneration and renewal that we need so that when we turn to your word, we would see you in it and we'd be able to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We pray for that transforming power that your Holy Spirit brings along with him. And so we pray that you would be glorified as we hear your word, as we consider it, as it takes deeper root in our hearts and shape in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. <clears throat> so, last week, this is, you know, this uh, story is sort of in the middle of a story here. Last week, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and he did it publicly. A lot of people saw it. It was a public display. Uh, it was his greatest sign. It was meant to show the glory of God, meant to reveal who God is and for what purpose he sent his son into the world, that is, for our salvation which is a kind of a resurrection that needs to take place, and really a, a real resurrection needs to take place. That's what Jesus came into the world for, uh, to save us through his perfect humanity and ultimately raise us into a new relationship with God and ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth at the resurrection of our bodies to raise us to life everlasting with God. That's what Jesus came for, and that's what he's demonstrated here in this sign of raising Lazarus from the dead uh, publicly. And so there were a lot of Jews from Jerusalem who were there, because remember, this is outside of Jerusalem in a town called Bethany where Lazarus, the, the dead man, and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were from. And so these Jews from Jerusalem came, uh, apparently had, uh, Mary had a lot of friends or she needed a lot of consolation, especially uh, they followed her to the, the tomb where Jesus performed this miracle. And so a lot of people there, a lot of Jews from Jerusalem, many of them responded positively, positively to Jesus' sign. Um, but... Some went to tattle on him, basically. Right? Uh, apparently, they thought it was advantageous to them in some way to get Jesus into trouble with the religious authorities in Jerusalem, even though Jesus just did something unimaginably good. So these eyewitnesses informed the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, as we've gone through uh, John's gospel here, come to know them a bit, they're the real moral conservatives, right? They're the, the theological police, the religious police in a sense. And in turn, they, the Pharisees, gathered together with the chief priests 
And uh, these were the ones who served in the temple, and they called uh, a meeting of the Sanhedrin, the Council of 70, <clears throat> 70 leaders who had jurisdiction over sort of the daily religious life in Israel. They weren't in ultimate power in Israel because that, that was the Romans, right? The Romans let them do their little thing in the temple and with the people on a re- regular sort of daily basis. Uh, the, the 70 leaders, the Sanhedrin, were sort of the leaders of Israel, and they were the best of the best. Right? This was the most respected elders of the people, those who had risen through the ranks of religion. They've really proved themselves in a lot of ways. To the highest level of power in the land under Roman rule. And they were the judges of Israel, and their power centered on God's law, supposedly. They had no power apart from God's law. And they were the chief enemies of Jesus because they felt themselves threatened by him and threatened by his ministry. And they felt they had the most to lose if Jesus were to ascend to real power. So they found themselves in the deepest opposition to Jesus, which just, let me say, is not the best place to be in opposition to Jesus. They, they say in 47 and 48, literally, what are we doing? What are we even doing here? We've got to do something about this, right? It's a rhetorical question. We've got to do something. For Jesus performs many signs, and if we let him go on like this, it's not going to go well for us. That's what they say. <clears throat> they actually know that Jesus is the real deal. They've had lots of reports about him, or they've seen him with their own eyes doing things that... You just don't do unless you came from God. They know he's the real deal. They're fully aware of his ability to perform these wondrous signs, and it seems like they're, they're even aware to some degree of what those signs mean, that Jesus came in God's name, that he's revealing God to people for their faith. So they're not mistaken about Jesus. They just want it to stop. They're the religious leaders. They're charged with the spiritual shepherding of God's people, but they really have no interest in that at all. No interest in people actually coming to God in faith. So if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. (laughs) Isn't that what you want? No, that's an unbearable thought for them. Apparently, they aren't in positions of leadership for the sake of doing ministry, not on, on God's behalf and for the sake of the people, connecting to God. That's not why they're in this position. They're in it for their own sake to enjoy the benefits of power. And that's exactly what Jesus is threatening. They say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That's emphatic language that are, they're really concerned about themselves. Their own self-interest is their primary concern. So when they think about God, Not mistakenly, when they think about God, as he's been revealed by Jesus to them, their primary response is fear. Fear. Think about God, and they are afraid for themselves. They have a fear of losing what they want most, which is power to live autonomously, power to live for themselves, power to live self-centered. That's what they want. That's what they're used to. 
That's what they worked so hard for. And here comes God, and he's going to take all that away. And, and remember that in this, they're representatives, not just of the bad guys. Right? They're representatives of us, people like us. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. The high priest was explicitly set up by God to represent the people. Actually, he's the one guy in all the land who really is just formally, officially is meant to represent the people when he goes into the temple to offer sacrifices to God, to bring, bring that sacrifice into the temple to atone for their sins and to connect people to God and reconcile them to God. He's, by God, explicitly the one who's supposed to represent the people. But here was this this powerful, manipulative, corrupt representative berating his compatriots for their ignorance. The solution to, to him was clear as day, and apparently his conscience was undisturbed by the idea, all we got to do to fix this problem is get rid of Jesus. It's that simple. Idiots. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And here's, here's what will be better for you. That language is clear. He's talking about if you're interested in yourselves, this is what will be better for you as the ruling party, as the religious authorities, the Sanhedrin. It'll be better for you, corrupt leaders who want power for selfish reasons. This is what, this is what will be better for you. <clears throat> the math is simple. The judgment is clear. This is a solution to our problems, to our fears. Let's put it in terms of political expediency. Sacrifice one for the sake of the many, so that the, all the people, all the nation, they won't die. Right. Somebody's going to have to die here. This guy who's making a big fuss, stirring up the nation, getting, getting the attention of the Romans, they're going to come and wipe us out unless we wipe him out. If he doesn't die, we probably will. So he can be our substitutionary sacrifice. That's not just political language, is it? As he writes this, John points out that <clears throat> something deeper is going on here. He says in verses 51 and 52, he didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So God has a terrific sense of humor. It's a great irony. It's an unconscious prophecy. He didn't mean this. He meant this on a political level. He meant this for the sake of worldly power. But he spoke better than he knew. Because ultimately God was in charge. God is sovereign. He spoke better than he knew, better than he intended. Really, he prophesied entirely in spite of himself. He's doing everything wrong. But he prophesied in spite of himself, and it's shown that, that he, he's the one who knows nothing at all. That's what he's accused his, his friends of, his comrades, but um, he's the one who knows nothing at all. <clears throat> in Joseph's words, go back to the end of Genesis in Joseph's words, what he intended for evil, God meant for good. 
for the salvation of the world. So Caiaphas would commit a grave injustice for the sake of selfish power. A grave injustice, the worst thing anybody's ever done. And he'd do it for the sake of selfish power. And in the very same act, God would be restoring justice for the sake of love. In the very same act. Caiaphas wants to stop people believing in Jesus. Ultimately, he wants to keep people away from God, really. But the death of Jesus would serve to unite people to God forever. All, all God's children who were scattered abroad in the whole world brought together and made one. Caiaphas represents sinful humanity in its treachery against God. So he's the representative we deserve because he's just like us. He's just like us in our sin. But his actions thrust Jesus forward as the representative, not that we deserve, not the one who's like us, but he's the representative that we need. Because in Jesus' death, he would be our substitutionary sacrifice. He would be the one who dies so that the many would be spared. He would atone for our sins vicariously on our behalf as our representative, our substitute. The perfect spotless lamb of God slaughtered for the sins of the people. He would die the death that we deserve under God's wrath so that we'd be spared from that, so that we would not have to die under God's wrath, so we could live with God. So, you know, um, Star Trek, the Borg, probably everybody knows the Borg, right? They're the cyborgs, the scary guys taking over the whole universe. They're the bad guys, but they have the best line. Resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. Delightfully here, God proclaims to sinners, to rebels, people like us, everybody, resistance is futile, I will use your very rebellion to accomplish my good purposes. What you intend for evil and for selfish purposes, I will use for good for the sake of love. I can orchestrate even your sin to make it serve even your salvation. Through your very hatred of me, I will make known my love to you. You cannot stop me. Even your attempt to do so is part of my plan and will serve my purposes. As uh, Bill read from Psalm 2, our Old Testament reading this morning, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? That's what these, these leaders, these religious leaders are doing. <clears throat> they're plotting against Jesus, and they're doing it in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, really is what that means, against his anointed, against his Christ, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. You can't oppose God. You can't stop Jesus. That is just ridiculous. It gets God laughing. And that's terrible news for those who hate God. It's terrible news for those who hate God. It says in Psalm 2, verse 5, God will speak to them in wrath and terrify them in fury. But it's fantastic news for those who love God. As it says at the end of that psalm, kiss the Son, blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Taking refuge in the Son 
and we understand him to be the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, taking refuge in the Son, means trusting that he is your representative, that he is your vicar, he's your substitute, he's your mediator in your relationship with God, he's been your representative. He was condemned in order to take away our condemnation, he was killed so that we might have eternal life, he was forsaken so that the love of God would rest on us forever, one, on behalf of the many, so that humanity could be with God rather than dying apart from him. The one on behalf of the many that makes that possible. Jesus is the Lord. He's the sovereign one whose death would be on his own terms. It says in uh, the end of our passage, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. That can look to us like he's just afraid. But he's not afraid. He didn't withdraw to the wilderness and avoid them for fear of his enemy's power. He withdrew because, as we've seen so many times in John's gospel, his time just hadn't quite yet come. Not quite yet. In his timing, it's his timing, God's timing. In his timing, he would be slain on the Passover. He would be the lamb slaughtered in the place of the people so that they could go free and enter into a restored relationship with God. That's on his terms. That's what he came to do, and he was going to do it when he was going to do it. The religious authorities who represent us in our sin, they did everything they did. They did everything they ever did, and especially here now with regard to Jesus. They did everything from fear to avoid death, to grab power for themselves because they feared losing that power. Jesus Christ, our good vicar, never did anything out of fear of other people. He would only go willingly to his death in order to love us. And that's exactly what makes him not the representative that we deserve, not the one who's just like us as sinful people. But he's the one we need. And thanks be to God, this is, this is the representative he's provided. This is the vicar that he's provided in spite of all of our attempts to stop his love. So put your faith in Christ, because blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it's because you are who you are that you sent your son Jesus into the world to be our savior, our substitute, our vicar. He is the representative that we need. He's nothing like us. In so many ways, he's, um, he's perfect. And he loves you and he obeys you and he loves his neighbor as himself, even to the point of giving his own life for those that he loves. Uh, we're nothing like that. So we run to him for refuge. We pray that we would be found in him, that we would be in him safe from your wrath and made alive to your love, that we would know you and grow in our relationship with you today and tomorrow and forever, all because of Jesus and because you sent him to be the Lamb of God who is slain for the sins of the world so that we might be spared the death that we deserve under your wrath. We pray that this mediation, this representation, uh, 
this vicarious atonement would um, be in our minds and on our lips that we would, along with John the Baptist, proclaim the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, the one who has died on behalf of the many. We pray that uh, this way that you've set up our salvation would become dear to us, that it would uh, consume our thoughts, and that we would find ways then, uh, because of who you are and what you've done for us in the gospel, find ways to communicate this salvation to our friends and loved ones who don't yet know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.